What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This content is brought to you by Uphold, which is a great platform that makes crypto investing easy. You can buy, sell, trade, and earn cryptocurrencies on Uphold. They have 10 plus million users, over 200 plus cryptocurrencies, and they're available in 150 countries. I personally use this platform since 2017. They're one of my go-to exchanges. They also offer equities and precious metals that you can invest in. If you'd like to learn more about Uphold, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto Podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Brian Quintens, who's the head of policy at A16Z Crypto and a former CFTC commissioner. Brian, great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be with you. It's been a little while since we last visited. I think we were talking, it's been over a year, which, you know, how long is that in crypto years? But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's wonderful to be back. And thanks for all your great work in the space, you know, raising the awareness of these important issues to the community. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it's just great to have you back. And I saw your new role on LinkedIn. I was like, I got to get Brian back on because there's lots to talk about. And you, of course, have a plethora of experience in DC working as a part of the CFTC and so forth. Um, before we get into everything that's going on with crypto, congratulations and tell us about your new position. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, I, I, I couldn't be more excited about this. I When I left the CFTC, I was thinking about you know what I wanted my you know future career to look like. I always wanted to keep crypto relevant because I believed in the promise of it. I believed in the underlying technology, and I spent a lot of time tr trying to um, you know discuss those benefits in in public fora and in public in public venues. Uh, but there were a number of things in which I was interested in, and I had the opportunity to join A16Z Crypto as an outside advisor right after leaving, which I thought was a wonderful way to get exposure to the space to increase my awareness of all of the different um, innovations that are occurring and what founders are building and learn from, I think, you know, the best team in the business and uh, those that have, you know, incredible foresight and understanding of, of what's happening. And then over time, I became uh, so convinced by their thesis of what of what this technology and what crypto can become, what it can empower over you know people's ownership over their uh, participation in networks, people's ownership over their digital intellectual property, their ownership over their digital identities, you know the efficiencies in um, in in payments and exchanges of value. Um, as, as well as just feeling uh, like I was joining a world-class team 
that um, I realized that this was the thing I wanted to do. And, um, it, it, and it fit really my philosophy, mm-hmm. which is that the future is built by founders and innovators. Yeah. And as I got exposure to this firm, one of the things that I realized that is paramount in their culture is basically treating founders as sacred. Mm-hmm. You know, so the people that are spending their nights and weekends, you know, all their waking hours, oftentimes sacrificing time with their their family, their friends, you know, giving up their hobbies to build, to build the things that we are all going to use. And this is a firm that I saw that that put that at the top of their priority list. Um, that wanted to be with founders, you know, through the good times and the bad times, and that recognized that innovative innovation and entrepreneurship are kind of the, the 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 founding benchmarks of what our future can become. And I couldn't be more excited to be a part of that. And it's a critical time to actually be in the policy space in the crypto ecosystem. So um, I'm I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, I mean, and I, we were talking before the recording. What a place to be, you know. As a as a techie, uh, I've followed Mark Andreessen and 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 Ben Horowitz and those folks since Web 1.0 and uh, dealing with search engines and obviously there's Web 2.0 and now they're in Web 3. Uh, it's amazing how things have uh, grown and the technology has changed and uh, we're at a crossroads point where we need to get it right in the U.S for fostering innovation and, and, you know, have the economic benefits from that. Um, so a lot took place last year. Uh, there were a lot of collapses of a lot of issues, Celsius, FTX, you name it. You know, what are your thoughts on just the uh, situations uh, and, and the, the next steps for us this year? Yeah. So I guess let me let me start by maybe talking about what we think are, you know, our priorities and what the roadmap is. And then I can I'd be happy to go into kind of the lay of the land and what what those events that you mentioned, I think, have have meant or how that has affected that that, um, you know, the the, the landscape. Hmm. I think you're, you're, you're right to point out that, you know, th- this this is a. Um, a, 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 a fundamental advancement of technology. Right. This is ushering in the next generation of the Internet. And we need policy that respects that. Mm -hmm. We need if if we're going to have responsible innovation, we need responsible policy. And the two need to go hand in hand. Right. If if you have irresponsible innovation, you're going to end up with irresponsible policy. And if you have irresponsible policy, you're going to push people offshore and they're going to take advantage of the system and 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 make less competitive those that are here in the United States or in other jurisdictions that are advancing a responsible policy that are trying to follow the rules. So first and foremost, we need to advocate for and achieve policy that respects this technology and its promise. We also need to do that on a bipartisan basis. And we need to do that working with various agencies uh, so that we can create an enduring and lasting and appropriately calibrated regulatory regime that recognizes all of those benefits. And I think Web3 is one of those rare policy you know, conversations that can bridge the political spectrum. Hmm. We see people on the extremes of the political, expe- the political spectrum embracing aspects of Web3 and embracing aspects of crypto. And I think that is hugely important, especially in the age in which we live, where you know political lines are hardening and everything seems to be politicized and it's hard to take a view on an issue without being attacked by someone you know on the opposite side of the aisle with a different perspective and i think that this is a great time 
to be spreading that message across, you know, the political spectrum. And lastly, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, all perspectives need to be considered to develop that, you know, enduring long-term set of solutions. And, and ultimately, you know, regulations and, you know, if done by themselves or if advanced through legislation need to focus on, you know, who can comply, how they can comply, and if complying actually makes sense with the risks that they pose. And our framework for that is regulating, you know, businesses, not regulating software, right? Potentially regulating businesses that are applications, not regulating software that are protocols, um, you know, across those different landscapes, who can comply, whether or not they should, and how those regulations are calibrated to address the appropriate and specific risks to, you know, the technology and how they operate. Um, so that's kind of our roadmap. I think back to your point about what we've seen uh, over the last year, and especially over the last couple months, I mean, obviously, FTX specifically is a terrible situation. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's affected a, a huge number of people in, an, in a highly negative way. And um, I mean, that's, that's, that's really, un, it's, it's just really awful. Um, and, and I think the crypto, crypto ecosystem needs to build back some trust. I think that there are those, you know, one of the things that I think has happened is that some of these events have kind of hardened positions on each end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have crypto antagonists that are using these events to, you know, reinforce their views and spread their message that this is all basically fraud and all basically a Ponzi scheme. And I think you have um, a lot of us on the other side of that spectrum who have embraced decentralization uh, because of the benefits uh, that it has, because of the promise that it can present to individuals to own their contributions and own their intellectual property, because of how it solves legacy um, you know, financial risks and the underlying rationale for policy and for regulatory rule sets, um, that you know, what we have seen in DeFi is completely the opposite of what occurred in FTX and in Celsius and in Voyager because they, you don't have that centralization. You don't have those conflicts of interest. And, and that's another important point is that what we have seen is not unique to crypto. Right. And it has, it has no bearing on the underlying technology and it has no relationship to Web3. You know, what has been reported is that at least, you know, at least in FTX's case, seems to be classic fraud. And we have seen that throughout financial history where, you know, centralized firms and bad actors take advantage of the fact, you know, that they sit at the center of very large amounts of money and the exchange of value. And, you know, again, to kind of, um, you know, throw out crypto because of the, you know, bad actions of a few centralized actors would basically, you know, be the equivalent of saying, well, we should eliminate the entire financial system because of Bernie Madoff. Right. You know, go after the fraudsters. You go after those that are acting in bad faith. Um, and hopefully, you know, clear regulatory solutions will provide that. They'll provide very strong guideposts. And A16Z has been calling for this for a long time. We've been calling for clear regulation. That's one of the absolute reasons why I wanted to join this firm as an advisor and join them full time. That clear regulation is definitely needed in the U.S. You know, more thoughtful, clear regulatory guidance is going to protect retail investors, but give precise direction to founders and builders that want to follow the right path. And it's going to encourage that development from happening. Uh, in uh, it's going to encourage that development happening here in the U.S. 
For sure. And and you made some great points there where, you know, uh, a lot of the issues that took place last year are not exclusive to crypto. They've happened in the traditional financial markets. And it could be, well, at least from my perspective, be argued that those collapses happened because the regulators didn't move fast enough, because Congress didn't move fast enough. Why, you know, they, they let crypto, uh, the innovation flourish, but also hadn't put the guardrails in place. And now it seems everybody's scrambling to say, okay, we got to get this done ASAP. Yeah. And I think, I think, look, if you, if you look across, you know, the crypto spectrum and ecosystem, there are certainly, you know, centralized firms that are offering products that are very similar to highly regulated, you know, instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are plenty of firms and tons of tokens that are being offered that have utility, that are achieving decentralization, that ha- you know, that have use cases, uh, and that and that don't have those legacy centralization uh, concerns or present kind of the idea of asymmetric information, you know, and that's one of the key focal points of regulation where asymmetric information exists between a centralized firm and how it can run its operations and investors or consumer investors in those businesses or consumers of those products, you know, regulation is kind of the verify component of the trust, but verify system. Um, But we, there, there's a ton, there's a huge swath of the ecosystem where those, um, those, those challenges aren't present and, and to some degree are being solved for by transparent and open protocols that people can access, use, understand, and, um, and, and that are open source uh, and, and that have risk management built into them so that people can understand exactly what they're getting. And you're right. I mean, I think it's, it's astonishing to me that it's been four years since we've gotten, I mean, you and I were talking about how long it's been since you and I talked, and that was just a year yeah. ago. It's been four years since the SEC produced any guidance on this, any guidance at all. And you know, the idea that everything is out of compliance and everyone should come in and register with, a, with an outdated regime that doesn't fit the technology, doesn't allow for crypto to actually trade in the way that it does, um, and could constitute an effective ban on it, is not a productive solution. And I think that that's what we need. We need productive, thoughtful um, uh, legislation and regulation that can embrace the benefits of the promise of this technology while also protecting consumers from risk. And, you know, to the extent that any agency wants to go after those that are centralized, present risk to investors and are offering, you know, the exact same kinds of products that are regulated, you know, I think that that's a, that's a fair case to be made. But we're we're seeing you know, regulators kind of pile on after bad things have happened um, that haven't provided, you know, the consumers with, you know, the appropriate protections, you know, that they wanted. And I think um, right. there are there are plenty of cases where, you know, some folks should have known better, uh, given given some early indications of how some of these products were viewed. Uh, but there also needs to be work done so that if they do need to register, that registration allows them to operate. You can't have a situation where you either come in and register and go out of business, or you get enforced after the fact, after you're already out of business. I mean, I'm not sure how that presents any kind of opportunity to realize the benefits of the technology. Yeah, and and we've seen a couple of situations with that. uh, One more, more recently with Digital Currency Group and Gemini, where the SEC comes in after the fact, but how does that help 
the users who can't access their funds from Gemini earn. Uh, you know, finding Gemini just takes money out of their pockets to help uh, restore those funds. So it just seems backwards. And and the other aspect to this is Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, of course, was meeting with uh, the SEC and I think the CFTC as well. So I'm just looking at him like, where did this all go wrong? Because he came in as he was encouraged to by, uh, you know, folks at the SEC come in and talk to us. Well, why wasn't there due diligence done on the regulator side? And and maybe, Brian, you know, you uh, being part of the CFTC, CFTC before can shed some light on that. Take us behind the curtain. You know, where how did this how did it not catch what was happening? Yeah, so I, I can speak from my experience and my awareness of the CFTC process. I'm not aware of what was happening at the SEC. And I think it's important for that to, you know, uh, see the light of day so that people know exactly what kind of conversations happen, um, what was being advocated for and what was being considered. You know, I think, uh, you know, if, if like one off, you know, regulatory exemptions that could basically have created a de facto monopoly, you know, we're under discussion. I think that that would be um, so, something that would be very disturbing. Yeah. Um, and and I hope that's not the case. But I think that the you know w- whatever was happening, I think needs to you know there needs to be some light shed on that. From from my involvement at the CFTC, you know, uh, FTX and and SBFs, um, I think touch point to the agency basically came right after I left when they purchased a regulated derivatives exchange, a CFTC regulated derivatives exchange known as Ledger X that became FTX US derivatives. And once they purchased that licensed entity, which was a, a futures marketplace, a swaps marketplace, and that had a, you know, the, the CFTC version of a broker dealer called a future commission merchant, um, I believe. No, it, it wasn't a future commission, it was a DCO, a clearing organization that would clear those products. Um, you know, then it was part of the regulatory fold. And just like any regulated entity, uh, I, I would expect and I would want an agency and regulators to have ongoing dialogue with those that are operating regulated entities um, so that they so that the agency understands what they're doing. Uh, the firms understand what the agency's concerns are or the direction that it's going. If there are rules you know, or guidance that the agency is thinking about issuing, that it accepts all kinds of feedback from all various kinds of entities about that. Um, and so, I mean, I, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. And on its surface, it doesn't necessarily to me seem in any way inappropriate. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think it's absolutely appropriate for the agency to seek to have those conversations with regulated entities. Um, and I think it's also important to note, I think, into your question of where did this where did this go wrong or could it have been seen more clearly? You know, there there apparently was a line between FTX US slash FTX.com, you know, and the CFTC regulated derivatives entities. In fact, part of the CFTC rule set for derivatives, you know, derivatives exchanges and clearing organizations is that they do segregate customer funds, you know, um, you know, for customers themselves. And they have real time auditing capabilities to ensure that those customer funds are being segregated. And that's come online 
because of issues that that had that the agency had seen and that the futures industry had experienced where those those customer funds had not been segregated you know we saw that and in, in the blow up of MF Global. Uh, we saw that in the blow up of Revco. Uh, and so the agency spent a lot of time developing capabilities to verify in real time that customer assets were segregated. And as a result of that, the, the US derivative entities that were regu regulated by the CFTC you know, were solvent and are now being sold. I think they were just cleared for sale in the bankruptcy process. So. You know, could more have been done to try to unearth and uncover connections between um, FTX U.S. derivatives and other entities? I'm not sure. Could more have been done on the CFTC side to explore in more detail uh, FTX.com? I mean, possibly. Um, but I think, you know, to the extent that, you know, FTX.com was engaging U.S. customers, which apparently it was, you know, I think that that's kind of an open question for all regulators. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm, yeah, and, and maybe it's... I understand some of this is new territory, but um, I guess in the future, if there is an outside international exchange before they even try to come set up something in the US, I guess the regulators have to take it the next to the next step. And that is, okay, show us your books for that international um, uh, business and what you're planning to do, right? Uh, it's just an, another. I mean, I think, sorry, that's a really important point, and I think um, I think we saw that when I was at the CFTC, where you had uh, it, similar to FTX, you had other international, um, unregulated or lightly regulated crypto exchanges, many offering you know uh, uh, large marketplaces in derivatives contracts you know, use the resources that they had accumulated to try to buy U.S. entities. And the statute that the CFTC follows didn't have a review process in it to um, verify or um, uh, research or in any way acknowledge that these were, you know, good actors. It was it was much more of a cursory process. And, and you know, the agency does have to follow the law. And if Congress says this is your review process, that's the review process. So, and I think in a recent hearing, uh, Senator Gillibrand from New York raised a very good point about that. You know, do you need more authority to review, you know, the solvency and um, good faith acting by entities that are seeking to acquire U.S. based regulated venues? And I think the response to that by Chairman Benham was, yes, I think we do. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a very legitimate concern. But I also think it's really important to bring this back to a policy perspective, which is if that if you have you know, a very a productive, well thought through, appropriately calibrated regulatory regime in the United States, especially for centralized entities, then you're going to increase, you know, the attractiveness of those entities to institutional clients, you know, to U.S. retail, and make them more safe and sound. You know, protect customers, increase market integrity. You know, so you know, in my view, the, the way to solve this is by appropriately calibrating a new regulatory regime 
uh, for uh, certainly at least for centralized exchanges so that they can you know receive the benefit of being regulated if that regime is uncalibrated or poorly calibrated you know or creates you know huge kinds of costs then you're doing the exact opposite and you're perpetuating the status quo that's going to disadvantage us entities from competing and attracting you know um, uh, consumers and and clients and investors into a regulated venue that has integrity when you mention regime, are you referencing um, a new government agency that maybe it's a combination of SEC and CFTC officials and other uh, regulatory agencies where it, they are coming together to work specifically on crypto? Is that what you're referencing? Yeah. So so I think as as we may have discussed before and as you may have discussed a lot since, you know, uh, commodities themselves are not regulated um, at the federal level from a market regulatory perspective. You know, the CFTC does have anti-fraud and anti-manipulation authority over spot commodity transactions, but that's an after-the-fact enforcement authority, not a you know preemptive regulatory authority. And so, you know, to the extent that many of these tokens are indeed commodities, have functionality, you know, have achieved, you know, some level of decentralization that resolves asymmetric information um, uh, uh, discrepancies between consumers and management teams, then um, I think, you know, in order to create a regime that brings in uh, uh, crypto exchanges, you know, to it, new legislation is going to have to be passed that decides, you know, what the appropriate regulator is for that and what those rules should look like. And that's important because um, eventually Congress is going to have to decide that. I think, you know, they need to decide that as long as it's, again, appropriately calibrated and, and productive. You know, they need to decide that. I'm optimistic that they can. Mm-hmm. I think we have wonderful... Um, knowledgeable members of Congress that really understand this technology and its benefits, as well as some of its risks in positions of authority in this incoming Congress that I think want also to have well thought through regulation. And I'm really optimistic that I think, you know, this could be a year where we see that, which gets back to what I said in the beginning, that this is a critical time for crypto and we're at a policy crossroads. For sure, yeah, and and to your point, I, I've been seeing pleasantly uh, seeing that both sides of the aisle, there are uh, folks coming in and working together. Darren Soden, Warren Davidson, Senator Gillibrand, and uh, Lummis as well. Um, so hopefully this year they can get it right. Um, I know stablecoin regulation has been on the higher side of the priority list. Um, do you think we see both stablecoin regulations as well as comprehensive crypto regulations? So it's it's always it's it's impossible to predict, but I think you're right. Those I think those are kind of the 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 two priority items you know for Congress to consider. It seems to have been where most of the work has been done. You know I think we've seen uh, productive approaches to stablecoin regulation that have been introduced on a on a bipartisan basis. I know there have been a lot of ongoing conversations between Congress and the administration on how to achieve that. Um, I think it's, you know, to me, it's a little interesting. Some of those conversations focus on, you know, legacy uh, policy and regulatory issues like uh, a state regime versus a federal regime. You know, which federal regulator should have that authority? You know, so so even beyond you know, an appropriately calibrated uh, regulatory, you know, model for stable coins, there are bigger policy questions that have to be answered about making those kinds of choices. But I think those can be resolved. Um, 
And I think we've seen solutions for that. And I think they're kind of top of mind, you know, uh, but as I think you and I may have discussed before, you know, Congress was not created to enact laws. You know, Congress was created to ensure that bad ideas did not become law, which is why there are so many obstacles to, you know, moderate legislation and why there are so many procedural mechanisms that require a consensus to ultimately pass something into law. And so it is very difficult to pass a law. And we can't underestimate how difficult that is, even with things being as much of a priority as they are in these two instances. Hmm. Um, I want to talk specifically about the CFTC and uh, situations that they've had with Tornado Cash as well as Okidao. Um, what are your thoughts on how the CFTC has been handling those situations? Yeah, so um, you know, I think, you know, privacy preserving software, I think, is um, is 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 going to be not not a it's it, it, it's going to be a, a place where there's going to be a lot of discussions happening uh, around what the best approach is that both respects um the the law as it currently is you know from a, a you know a sanctions regime perspective as well as uh the law as it exists around respecting people's privacy um and i'm of the view that i think privacy preserving software is is critical and i actually think and i think we think it can it can have a huge benefit to dissuading uh bad actors from you know committing uh cyber crimes and trying to steal value, you know, if 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 they know it's going to be very very difficult to identify who people are, right? Then um, and a lot of those assets aren't necessarily in one specific honeypot, right? There there are a lot of advantages that that can have to deterring illicit finance activities and and deterring cyber theft. Um, on the Oki Dow case, I mean, I think we'll. We have to see how that evolves. I mean, it is ongoing. You know, it is an ongoing court case. Um, I think a lot of the uh, claims in the complaint that the CFTC filed against the Okidao did not have uh, significant legal justification to them. They were not satisfactorily explained. I think they um, made a lot of um, uh, determinative statements without without support. Uh, and have just recently filed for a default judgment because no one from the Okidao, you know, showed up to defend themselves. Um, A16Z Crypto did file an amicus brief around the service of process issue. Uh, that was mostly focused on, you know, how a DAO could be served, uh, whether or not appropriate notice was given. Um, you know, could an agency, you know, deliver something to a, a chat room and have that be sufficient notice? Um, and, and our focus was, you know, that um, a lawful purpose has to be established to recognize a group of people as a unincorporated association, which was the legal classification that the CFTC gave to the Okidao. And we didn't see any kind of acknowledgement that it was established for a legal purpose. I think in the, in the decision that the judge handed down on service, where the judge thought service was appropriately given, uh, the judge acknowledged that a number of the issues raised, not in our amicus, but in other amic amici briefs that were filed, uh, were more appropriate to be decided you know, in the actual trial. 
And so, you know, to me, it would be, you know, incredibly unfortunate if such broad, you know, and unsubstantiated accusations with, you know, lines of, of liability that extend, in my view, you know, to very unreasonable places about someone voting at any time on anything in a DAO being responsible for any kind of future regulatory violation. It would be very unfortunate if just through process, the agency was able to cement those views through a default judgment. So um, we'll have to see how that evolves. Um, I'm pretty disappointed uh, in, in, in the approach to that case. I think those kinds of policy issues either need to be adjudicated in court or more appropriately need to, need to be discussed you know, by the agency at the commission level. Sure. I think they need to do rulemakings on this. They need to provide guidance on this. They need to have um, discussions on this. They're, they have advisory committees at the agencies where um, opinions uh, from you know, uh, the, the public can be heard and discussed and informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and none of those you know, have, have happened uh, on this issue. And I think it also reinforces our view that you know, DAOs are going to need some kind of le- legal wrapper. Sure. That that allows them to do things like appropriately pay taxes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hire service providers, you know, enter into contracts. Well, also, you know, like exists in legacy limited liability, you know, um, uh, company formations and unincorporated association law, you know, some, you know, liability shields for individual members. And that's a state level solution that we've developed some thinking on. Miles Jennings, the general counsel of A16Z Crypto and David Kerr have put out uh, a number of papers um, on those, uh, on on that concept. And that's something that we're exploring at the state level so that um, a DAO, especially one associated with a protocol, you know, could achieve, you know, some level of of regulatory oversight or uh and and have some level of business operations like paying taxes and like you know hiring service providers and contracting you know while also ensuring that um uh liability doesn't extend to anybody at any time for anything Hmm. yeah look i i know the regulators got a tough job (laughs) It, it is a lot of new things a lot of new technology but um Man, I hope they get it right uh, this year. And and you know, instead of having the knee jerk reactions, and they really sit down and think about these things, and you know, uh, look at how they can have a balanced approach, um, because there just seems to be a lot of regulation by enforcement, and uh, hopefully we can move away from that approach and and a more uh, not non heavy handed approach. Yeah, I mean, um, and and. And look, enforcement is a very valuable tool for regulators. And I think we all need to acknowledge that. But like anything, it can be abused. And in some cases, it's unproductive. And it's unproductive where an agency has an established policy, has an established guidance. And this is, I think, um, a criticism through the Okie Dow case that you could level at the CFTC. I think it's a fair criticism of the SEC, where you come in after the fact um, and prosecute, you know, maybe the worst actor, but set a very, very broad precedent uh, upon which no policy debate has occurred, which is why I think it is likely, but also critical that Congress come in um, and dictate, you know, guidelines and statutory authority to an agency or multiple agencies about how to approach this technology so that 
investors and consumers can be protected, right? The benefits of the technology can flourish. You can have market integrity, you know, and solve, especially in areas where uh, a number of the existing, you know, regulatory um, touch points are solved for. For sure. So um, you touched a lot on what A16Z's roadmap is um, and, you know, filing amicus briefs and so forth. Um, is there anything else? Um, are you guys like doing any type of, uh, you know, education, uh, trying to help folks in D.C. to understand this technology, not to be scared of it, not to have a knee jerk reaction to it? Um, you know, are you doing that type of work as well? Oh, absolutely we are. And I think that's a critical role for us to do. I think it's a critical role for everybody in the ecosystem to do. And I think one of the most powerful things that I have seen, we have seen, is when the founders and builders come in and explain what they're doing, because it provides, you know, real world tangible use cases for these things. Um, and they, I think they have instant credibility because they're the ones that are, again, dedicating their lives and sacrificing their time to building, you know, innovative products that hopefully we can all use in the future because they better our lives. And um, yes, but broadly speaking, you know, I spoke before about how I think some of the, you know, the negative events that we've seen over the last couple months and even year has kind of um, hardened, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the ends of the spectrum. I think there's a vulnerable population in the middle that may be somewhat crypto skeptical, not necessarily in an, in an inherently antagonistic way, but crypto skeptical, not very knowledgeable, you know, but willing to acknowledge that there are benefits, you know, to the technology and, and, and to the products and to the use cases. And I think some of those events have maybe pushed them into more of this, more of the hardened skeptic camp, or at least, you know, reaffirm some of that skepticism. And we need to educate them uh, and either, you know, get them back on the fence or bring them back over. And, and again, through showing them uh, that, you know, these are legacy issues that have existed in financial services for eternity, right? They're the reason why regulations exist, but we see a complete difference in approach and significant nuance in, you know, the spectrum of the ecosystem from centralization to decentralization, from, you know, interior closed systems to things being on-chain transparent done through open source code. Right. And so that is our job to educate. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, be a part of this team and to accept some of that responsibility is to help educate. And we've we've actually hired our first head of government affairs, Colin McCune, uh, who is doing a fantastic job um, uh, doing that on on the Hill. And I look forward to joining him in those conversations along with, you know, regulators. So final question here for you, um, you know, despite all the things that happened last year with the collapses, we saw some of the biggest names enter the crypto markets and industry, uh, such as BlackRock and launch, launching a Bitcoin spot trust. Um, you know, they're doing, I think they launched an ETF in, in Europe as well. Uh, NASDAQ launched crypto custody, BNY Mellon. Um, do you think those folks, or, 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 you know, those names and those caliber of financial institutions coming in could help? you know, bring uh, the, the folks who are scared away or those in DC who are like, oh, I don't want to touch this right now, could help bring them back in and, you know, ease their, put their minds at ease at least? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think to, to, to one degree, when you have large legacy, you know, um, uh, financial institutions actively exploring, if not dipping their toes into the water, um, you know, it can provide some level of credibility to those that you know were very skeptical um you know although, although you know there's there's a, you know a, a converse 
um, outcome, which is that, uh, you know, it could reinforce the view that this is, you know, all financial in nature, you know, it's all trading, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it could reinforce some people's views of Wall Street as a casino. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think it, it could be a double-edged sword, but I, I, for one, am happy to see it. I think what it, what it, what it recognizes or what's important to recognize about it is that those institutions would not be doing that if they didn't have strong demand from their customers to offer those products. Sure. So that's to me what it means. It means they are, they are seeing from their customers, you know, a strong interest in having these products being offered to them. And I think that's, that's a, that's a great thing to recognize that this isn't just kind of top of the house trying to get ahead of trends. It's, I think a, a lot of it's coming, you know, from, from the bottom up. And so, um, you know, we'll have to see how that evolves. Um, and, you know, it, it'd, it'd be interesting to have, you know, those, those folks' perspectives. But again, I mean, I think there are plenty of aspects of this technology and a lot of the benefits that currently exist in it, uh, where a lot of those intermediaries and centralization issues uh, aren't, necess aren't necessarily needed. Um, and people can access these kinds of things on their own. Um, and they can, you know, take charge of their lives and they can, you know, own things themselves and custody things themselves. And, um, you know, I'm excited for people to, you know, explore the benefits of that as well, as opposed to only through, you know, traditional financial institutions. Yeah, great point um, that even though they're coming in, the, the point of Web3 is to, you know, be your own bank and have uh, ownership of, of your identity and your finances and so forth. And, uh, you can self custody and own uh, your own data on the blockchain, and uh, you know with the future of token economy, maybe you control who gets to see that data, and you can uh, profit off of it if you choose to. Um, it is kind of a brave new world of, of things that we can do. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, yeah, re realizing those benefits is going to ensure that, you know, crypto turns into the world computer and not the world casino. And I think that's what we're really focused on. There's always going to be a financialization aspect to things that have value and where large value accumulates. But we are really trying to push the idea that this is the next iteration of the internet. And we need to recognize how important that could be, not only to broad-based economic growth, but also to individuals. Hmm. Brian, always a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I, I have to have you back on because, you know, things will progress this year and um, we'll definitely get your perspective. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Tony. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, coming back. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 